Our second reading this morning uh, is from Acts chapter 25. I will be reading verses 1 through 22. I'm reading out of the ESV translation, which is the Pew Bible. Hear the Word of God. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea... And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summons him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he said... Let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about this man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took a seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as to yourself, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing in their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had the opportunity to make his defense concerning the charges laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I had supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem to be tried regarding them. But when Paul had 
but when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. This is the word of the Lord. So my son John Calvin got married yesterday. Uh, the wedding happened on a farm in Stewartstown, Pennsylvania. Anyone been to Stewartstown? Yeah, it's it's nowhere. Okay, it's nowhere. You go to the Boondocks and then you turn left. Okay, and then you get to you get to Stewartstown. It's on a farm there. We gathered there on Friday, and, and we had like a party Friday night. Got everything set up in the barn. The the wedding happened out in a field next to the to the to the cow pond, and uh, there was a fire pit. We all sat around the fire pit, and smoked cigars on Friday night, and then Saturday there was like all of the preparation during Saturday, and people were arriving from all over the place. There were people flying in from the West Coast, people coming in from New York City. People coming in from the hills of Missouri and Arkansas as well. And people began to gather there uh, on this farm. And uh, we finally had the wedding around 3 o'clock. It came off without a hitch. They are successfully uh, successfully married. There was one oddity, though, in the, in the wedding uh, about a month ago or maybe a couple of months ago. Calvin had an engagement party. Uh, at his house, and he introduced me to a fellow by the name of Jeremy, who's uh, a friend of his, who was going to be uh, the person to do the readings. And Jeremy's an interesting guy. He's a born-again Roman Catholic and very serious about his faith. He goes to a church that only does the Mass in Latin. So he's an extremely conservative Catholic, and he had a lot of ideas uh, about what passage should be read, you know, at the wedding. He was talking about Song of Solomon. He was talking about, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Uh, in the end, the passage that he read, uh, that he wanted to read, was Ephesians chapter 5, the whole discussion about how wives are to be submissive to their husbands. So I'm waiting for the readings to come to me because, you know, I've got to write my sermon based on the readings and like they're not coming. Apparently this fellow Jeremy had told Calvin, but Calvin being a wise man knew better than to pass along that passage to me. And so a couple days before the wedding is to happen, I've got, I've got no sermon text to work with and I'm feeling, I don't know, like a little miffed, you know, at, at, I don't know what generation Calvin is. Is that millennial? Is that X, Y, Z? I don't know what they are anymore. You know, but they they communicate by text. Uh, they show up very irregularly. And I was just annoyed. Like, you know, I was just annoyed that, like, I had asked for this. 
I need to write my sermon. You haven't given me the text. What am I supposed to do? You can't do everything at the last minute. So I give him a totally weird passage from the Old Testament, okay, with a lot of strange Hebrew, uh, no, not just Hebrew, uh, Aramean names as well. I'm like, okay, Jeremy, you couldn't come through and deliver the text to me. I'm going to embarrass you in front of all of your hipster friends and make you read a really weird passage, which was great. Okay, and he was very game about it. He he gets there uh, to the wedding, and, and in his mind, he's already said, "Oh, it's going to be Ephesians chapter five." So he's all prepared to do Ephesians chapter five. And I'm like, I never heard about Ephesians chapter five until today. So that's not the passage that's going to be preached on. So he he was he, he was a good sport. He was a good sport about it. I like preaching at weddings and at funerals. I prefer weddings to funerals. Um, so those of you who are not married might want to think about it. There are, weddings are fun because you always have a mixed crowd. Okay, you got believers there at the wedding. And, you know, then you have the pagans. And then you got the, all the lapsed Catholics. They'll be there too. Um, and so it's always, it's always a lot of fun to preach into, uh, a mixed group. Because when you spend all of your time preaching to Christians, I don't know, Christians, Christians kind of get blasé. Like we, we know the gospel, like we've heard it. Like what does Pastor Dan have to say to get your attention anymore? You've, you've been in church for your whole life, but you get a bunch of lapsed Catholics and you get a bunch of pagans and you can, you, you can get their attention real quick. So we had a lot of fun, um, they're out in that cow pasture. Um, the the passage was about uh, a covenant that Laban makes with Jacob. I don't know if you remember the story of Laban and Jacob. So Laban is Jacob's uncle. And he lives off in Padam Aram, which is like nowhere. Okay, It's like really far away from Palestine. But Jacob's family sends him off to Uncle Laban to go get a wife, and he goes off there. He's a young man, you know. He's probably Harrison's age. He goes off to see Uncle Laban, and Uncle Laban has four daughters, and uh, Jacob wants the youngest daughter, Rachel, right? He falls in love with Rachel. She's very beautiful. And Uncle Laban says, that's fine. You can have her, but you have to work for me for seven years. So Jacob works for him for seven years, and then then there's the wedding ceremony. But, of course, you know, everybody's veiled. And, in fact, Uncle Laban had passed off the ugly sister. All right? And so he, married, he ends up marrying the ugly sister. And so then he has to work another four years to get the second sister. Okay, by the way, the Bible does not endorse polygamy. All right? Every time polygamy happens in the Bible, it's a problem. All right? We are... What's the opposite of polygamy? Monogamy. All right. We Christians are monogamous. Okay? You, only, you only get one. Anyway, so he ends up having these two sisters. And then the time comes for Jacob to return to his family. And Uncle Laban, you know, for, for I mean, he, he was a skunk, but he loved his daughters and he loved his grandchildren. And now Jacob is going to be taking his daughters and grandchildren and going off to this place, Palestine. It's so far away. I'll never see you again. It's not like you can call. And he's worried. 
And what happens if Jacob turns out to be a bum and, you know, marries some younger woman and then leaves Laban's daughters, you know, in a lurch? And so they have this, they, 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 they make an agreement and they build a big old tower of stones. Like men like to build big old towers of stones, okay? As a sign of the covenant promises that they've, that they've made, uh, uh, to one another. When Calvin and Rosie were growing up, we explained to them that we, that we should pick their spouse. We, we know, we know some nice people that you could, and we like their family. You could marry, you know, Rosie, you could marry this fella, Calvin. And, and, uh, we didn't, they ended up having love marriages. Okay. They were not arranged marriages. Um, but I talked about arranged marriages. Um, and I quoted a dissertation. There's a 2019 dissertation that was, that, uh, was completed at Texas Women's University examining the success rate of love marriages, you know, the Western-style marriage, romantic marriages, versus arranged marriages. And it turns out in any way that you measure the success of a marriage, the arranged marriage is more successful. And so for this whole large assembly of hipster millennials, I encourage them to follow the science. The science shows that if you follow your heart, eh, things are probably not going to work out well. But if you allow your parents to arrange your marriage, odds are much, much more in your favor. All right? So we made an argument for arranged marriages. Uh, we gave them a weird passage with odd Aramean names. Calvin and uh, Cheryl did exchange their vows. Uh, Calvin's wedding ring <clears throat> was about the size of a wagon wheel, okay? <laughs> and Cheryl's wedding ring was so tiny, I, I, I couldn't, like, pick it up. Like, I had to wet my finger to pick it up. Okay, there's... Male and female, alright? There are two, there are two kind of people that were definitely present there. There was no, no confusion about gender in, in, in that, in that wedding, uh, there. So that was a, uh, that was a lot of fun to be with, to be with those people. I had a lot of conversations after the ceremony from young people, you know, friends of Calvin, you know, Calvin lives in South Philadelphia and he, and he moves in a, in, a, you know, in a very colorful circle of people. Um, and it was interesting the number of those people who wanted to talk to me about church afterward. You know, I was thinking about going back to church. Guy with earring ears. You know how they extend those ears things? Like he's got like dangling down there. Okay, and I was having a. He was talking to me about wanting to be in church, but. The ear thing, like he was afraid he was going to freak out the old ladies at the Catholic Church. I told him to come here. Okay, uh, I think there is a hunger in the world because what the world offers is a starvation diet. All right, it offers you foolishness that's just dying. Uh, I'm more and more uh, convinced that we are in a post-Christian 
culture in the West, in the United States. We're, the, it's just passed. It's, it's gone. All right, we're in a post-Christian world. The church, however, we, we've been promised, will never go away. There will always be a church, even in this embattled culture. But more and more, we're going to look strange in this culture. And we have to just get over being weird. Okay, Our weirdness is exactly what people are dying for. They need it. All right. So I just want to encourage you to be out of the closet Christians. I want to encourage you to be weird different from the world, have opinions that the world doesn't have, don't be afraid of having a, a, a countercultural uh, opinion, uh, and you'll be a blessing to other people. I mean, some people, they don't gonna, they're not going to understand you, uh, they'll reject you, but others are going to be like, oh, that's, that's exactly what I want to hear. I'm watching my time there. I want to talk about uh, Festus, and I want to talk about Agrippa and Bernie's um, what we read today, I mean, so we're finally back in the Acts of the Apostles. And you remember what, where we are in this whole thing. A long time ago, Paul collected all of this money from uh, the churches uh, outside of Judea, and he brought this collection back to Jerusalem to help the poor. And he gets there, however, there's this horrible reaction in, uh, amongst the Jews in Jerusalem. They're like furious. They've heard about Paul, that he's, he's, he's got a reputation. He's got a reputation of being someone who hangs around Gentiles. Uh, and uh, they think that he's like dismantling the law of Moses, which he's not. Um, and they're very upset because Paul has gone to the temple. All right, And they want to kill him. And there's a riot. Uh, and, and it's only the Roman uh, soldiers who, who save Paul. And then there's a, a trial in Jerusalem, and then he gets sent on. So at this point of the story, Paul is in Caesarea. He's been transferred uh, to Caesarea by Festus's uh, predecessor, Felix. Okay, So Paul's been in Caesarea so long, one governor has been replaced by another governor. And he's been in jail the whole time. All right. And so our story picks up today. Festus has arrived. He's only three days on the job. And um, uh, his capital is in Caesarea. It's kind of the administrative capital of the region. But he goes up to Jerusalem, which is the cultural capital. It's the religious capital. Okay, So Festus is a Roman pagan ruler of the Jewish people. The Romans were very smart in being sensitive to cultural differences in different places uh, that they ruled. Uh, and so he goes up to Jerusalem to meet with the bigwigs, with the Jewish uh, bigwigs. And they're still fuming about Paul. I mean, Paul's not in Jerusalem anymore. They're upset that Paul maybe polluted the temple by being there. Well, I'm sure that pollution is gone by now. Paul's in prison down in Caesarea, but they just can't let this thing go. And they appeal to him, and they've still got this plan uh, to actually assassinate him on the road. That plan had happened before, and so they're still after this plan. So that's Festus, okay? So he's a Roman governor. But down in verse 13, I want to just lift up a couple of points about Agrippa uh, and Bernice. Okay, So the Romans, when they conquered a territory, would leave in place the local traditional power structure. 
So Agrippa is in fact a Herod. He's part of the Herod Empire. Like he's, so this is the great grandson of the Herod who tried to kill Jesus. Alright, he's a Jew. Okay? He's the king, so he's actually, the name is, is Herod Agrippa II. Alright? Bernice is Herod Agrippa II's sister. And they're living as husband and wife. Okay? Hey, they're Romans. All kinds of things go. Well, they're Jews, but they are Jews that have sold out to the local, to the local, to the local culture. Bernice is the brother of the king. I mean, is the sister of the king, and yet she is living with her brother as husband uh, and wife later. So, by the way, this is happening in 60 A.D. Okay, this uh, 60 A.D. is when Festus comes uh, comes into power. In 70 A.D., you recall the Romans. Uh, there's this is the 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 the, the Jewish war. Uh, uh, the Romans actually destroy Jerusalem, tear the temple down. Uh, and the general who's responsible for that is a fellow by the name of Titus. And Titus will subsequently, about nine years after the destruction of Jerusalem, become the emperor of the Roman Empire. And who's his lover? Bernice. All right? I just want you to get you a little flavor here. So Bernice and Agrippa are Jews. They're people of the covenant. They're people who believe in Yahweh and in the Bible, but they are so compromised by the world that they've become indistinguishable from the world. And one of the ways that this is demonstrated is in their sexual ethics. All right, They've adopted a worldly sexual ethic, a Roman sexual ethic, a pagan sexual ethic, while still trying to maintain their Jewish identity. Oh, we're Jews, but except we sleep with our brother. Okay, we're Jews, but yet we are a concubine to the emperor. All right? Here's the problem. You can't do both. You can't pretend that you're part of the people of God and adopt the world's standards. All right? It ju- it's just a lie. All right? Now, obviously, they continue to call themselves Jews. They're not going to call themselves pagans. We're Jews. We're concerned about the temple in Jerusalem. We're trying to take care of the Jewish people. But they're living like the world. There is a separation between the people of God and the people of the world. And you, what you notice here is that these people who are supposed to be the people of God, Agrippa and Bernice, in fact, in the end, are complicit with the destruction of the people of God. They are complicit in the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The analogy holds for people today who claim the name of Christ and adopt the world's sexual ethic. They want to continue to say, oh yeah, we're Christians, we're just this kind of Christian. I deny it. It's false. These two things do not go together. They never have gone together. The people of God have always been separated from the people of the world. And one of the ways that that this separation is marked is in terms of our sexual ethic. The sexual ethic of, of of scriptures, of the synagogue, and of the church subsequently have been uniform 
for 3,500 years. They haven't changed just because someone changed their opinion last week in Hollywood. Okay? I want to just announce that and make that really, really clear to you. There are people who will claim to be your friend. There are people who will claim to be a supporter of the people of God. But if they're living according to the standard of the world, they are your enemy. And don't be seduced. Don't be seduced by Agrippa and Bernice. They may claim the name of a Jew, but they're from the world. Let's pray. Father God, we honor you and we adore you. And your word never changes. Because if it changed, you wouldn't be God. You are the God who was before time. You are the God who brought time into being. You are the God who made the world out of nothing. And when you announce your will and your plan for your people, we can rely on that today and tomorrow and forever. And Lord, we thank you that in the midst of all of the changing opinions of our time, that we can rest steady and confident in you. You're one place of surety and solidness. So we sing your praises. And we ask that you would seal to our hearts the truths of your scripture. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.